Turn your Bible to Mark chapter 1, please. The first chapter of Mark. <clears throat> Ten weeks from today, we will be observing Miracle Day. We will have, the Lord willing, gone through all the snow and the blizzards and the storms and the winter, and we will be right on the verge of spring. Ten weeks from today, the next ten weeks, we're going to be studying, preaching in the services from the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. We begin today with chapter 1. You'll notice there are 45 verses in this chapter, and I think there's nothing greater than reading the Word of God. So let me read this. You follow along in your Bibles. Mark chapter 1. May we pray together. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of being in God's house today. We thank Thee for what we have already experienced, these great songs, the sermon and song by Brother Chuck, the Sunday School lessons, the impact of so many believers meeting in Jesus' name to say to an unbelieving world, Jesus is alive and He lives within us. Now may Thy Spirit open the Word to us. And may lost souls be convicted by the Spirit of God and drawn to Jesus and saved people come to love you and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. There went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized by him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt about his waist. And he did eat locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I, after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tested by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, come after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And straightway he called them, 
And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after them. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace. Come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? What authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits? And they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and straightway they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And in the evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and those that were possessed with demons. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases, and cast out many demons, and permitted not the demons to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out demons. And there came a leper, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and said unto him, I will, be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and said unto him, See thou, say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to spread abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was out of the desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. If you'll notice these 45 verses in chapter 1 of, Mo of Mark, <clears throat> you might say form 13 bases for the whole ministry and life and purpose of Jesus. Notice these 13 areas or points in chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel 
the prophets, the prophets' proclamation. That's where Mark begins the gospel. Though notice what the prophets said. Behold, I send my messenger before thee. That's from Malachi. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's from Isaiah and on and on. And so Mark begins the gospel, the story of Jesus in the heart of the prophets because God had put the story of Jesus in the heart of the prophets. And as a matter of fact, the entire Old Testament is one long story promising Jesus is coming. Somebody has said the Old Testament predicts Christ, the New Testament presents Christ. Secondly, the herald of the king, John the baptizer. Third, the public appearance of Jesus. Fourth, the satanic testimony and testing against Jesus by the devil. Fifth, the gospel preached by Jesus, his first public appearances. Six, the first disciples were chosen, Peter and James and John and so on. Seventh, Jesus began his campaign. Eighth, the first victory over demonic powers. A demon knew him and shrieked out, we know who you are. You're the son of the most high. And Jesus quieted him. You see, even the demons and the devil knew Jesus before any human being recognized who he was. A glorious miracle over sickness when Peter's wife's mother was sick, lay sick with a fever, and Jesus just took her by the hand and raised her up, and she was well and fixed lunch for him. The beginning of the crowds as they came to press in on him, and Jesus' quiet time alone with the Lord in prayer. If our Lord had to pray, if he needed to be alone in a closet to pray, and of course he prayed without ceasing, but if he also needed times alone, how much more do we need times alone with God? And then the last section, verses 40 to 45, I think present the whole purpose of the coming of Jesus in summary fashion, in the story of the leper that is cleansed. And very briefly this morning, I'd like for us to see in these last Five verses, six verses, verses 40 through 45, the problem revealed, the plan unveiled, the purpose prevailed. First of all, the problem revealed. There came to him a leper, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make us clean. Thou canst make me clean. The whole problem with men is that we're not clean. That's our problem. That's the reason Jesus had to come. The Bible says in the very beginning, God made man in his own image. There was nothing in the image of God to mar man and to mar the image of God in man. He was pure, perfect, innocent. And then sin came on the scene. And Satan tempted Eve, and Eve tempted Adam, and together they went into sin, doing what God had said not to do. The Bible says, thou shalt not, and man said, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do it anyway. And that's been the problem ever since. Man disobeying God. The question is not, what was that forbidden fruit? Was it an apple or a pear? Was it sex? What was it? 
people have built old doctrines on what was that forbidden fruit. Well, that's beside the point. The point was God said, thou shalt not. And man said, I'm going to do it anyway, God. I don't care what you say. And men have been saying that ever since. And this is the thing that destroys man. That is sin in his life. And the, this leper came to the Lord and said, Lord, I need cleansing. There's something about my life that isn't right. Now, leprosy was a terrible, terrible disease. Leprosy was feared and fled from in, Egypt, in Israel as a stroke from God. Leprosy was the most fearful and most hated disease known to man. Leprosy was so loathsome and so utterly incurable and deadly that it was looked upon not as an ordinary disease at all, but rather as a special creation in the anger of God, a direct curse from God both to punish sin and at the same time to teach his people something of what a cursed thing sin really is. Until the whole nature of leprosy and all the laws laid down for its treatment and the miraculous nature of its so seldom cure all combined to work into the imagination and into the consciousness and into the heart and into the ritual and into the literature of Israel some of her deepest lessons about the terrible nature of sin and its only proper treatment. For sin is like leprosy in this. It is the most mysterious, stroke-like, malignant, loathsome, mockingly incurable of all our incurable ills. Sin is like leprosy in this also. A man can be great like Naaman of the Old Testament, a great man, a captain of the hosts. And everybody respect him and still... He was a leper. Still, he has sin in his life. And I'm speaking to people this morning who may be respected by their neighbors, who may be, loved, be beloved as a son or a daughter or as a husband or a wife or a mother or a daddy. And somebody would stand up and say, he's the best man that ever lived. And yet deep down in the root of your life and the heart of your hearts, there is sin, an incurable, loathsome malignancy that will eat away and kill you eternally. In that awful place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. This leper came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you will, you can clean me, you can cleanse me. Now that leper had an advanced understanding of his own need. Far, far more than most men and women today. We go to some homes and knock on their doors. We talk to them about their need of Jesus, and some wife will say, but you know, my husband's good. Some wife, husband will say, but you know, my wife is the best woman that ever lived. They do not understand that under that coat of apparent rightness, there's an awful, awful malignancy. We have a precious little girl, not little, teenager. She's in the hospital in Louisville. She comes and sits right over there with her daddy. Her mother died of a malignancy a year and a half ago. This dear 15-year-old girl has been touched by leukemia. Some of you in this auditorium know what that means. She came not many Sundays ago. You would look at her, nothing wrong. 
she loved, she played, she was full of activity. Sometimes you'd have to correct her because she would talk. And all along, deep down inside of her system, there was a disarrangement of the blood cells. And soon it would be learned there was a terrible malignancy called leukemia that would destroy her. Now, that's physical. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl to whom I speak this morning has that awful spiritual malignancy of sin eating away in his heart, eating away in his mind, eating away in his life. And if it is left untouched by God, it will take you down, down, down to an eternity of separation from God in that awful place prepared for the devil and his angels. But God doesn't want you to be there. And so God has arranged a plan. And this scripture not only presents the problem, but it presents the plan, the plan of God, how God's going to deal with it. Notice verse 41. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou cleansed, be thou clean. Now notice, the man had recognized he was in need. He said, Lord, I have an awful need. The only people in this room who are saved are people who have come to a point in their lives where they realize there was a need. You cannot be saved until you know you're in need. If you think everything's all right, then you're not going to be helped. If you don't think you need a doctor, then you're not going to go to a doctor. But when you begin to understand that there's an awful need in your life, and you go to a doctor, and you say, Doctor, you do something to me. And he thumps around, five or ten dollars a thump. And he uses a stethoscope. And he said, Oh my, this is bad. I'm going to have to put you in the hospital. Oh no, Doctor, don't put me in the hospital. Yeah, God put you in the hospital. And though he puts you in the hospital, and if you weren't sick before you got there, you get sick shortly after. He runs you down to the x-ray room, and he does all kinds of strange things to you. And uh, he does this because you realized there was a need. And then one day he comes along and he says, well, I'll tell you there's nothing I can do, but I'll have to operate. Operate? Yeah, you're going to have to operate. I'm going to have to operate. Operate? Yeah. I'm going to have to cut you open and go in there and jerk this thing out and take it out so that you can live. And you say, okay, doctor, okay. And so you pay him five or $600 to cut on you and to go in there and jerk something out of you and to pull it out and then to sew you up and you pay the hospital so many hundreds of dollars to let you stay there a little bit longer. You know why? So you can live in this land about 10 or 15 or 20 or 30, 40 years more, right? You realize there was something wrong with you and you went to a doctor and you believe what he said. Now, that leper realized something was terribly wrong with him and he went to the doctor, the great physician, and he said, there's something awfully wrong with me and the great physician said, I know what it is, and I have the cure for it. And he said, I will be thou clean. You see, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants to clean up and to cleanse every man, every woman. 
Notice, first of all, Jesus was moved with compassion. Our Lord has tender compassion and pity and mercy on everybody who has a need. There's not a person in this room that Jesus doesn't have compassion on. He loves you. He wants to help you. There's not a person within the sound of my voice by radio this morning, but what God loves you. He wants to lift you up out of the fallen condition of your life and put your feet on solid rock. But you have to recognize there's a need. You have to come and say, Lord, I have an awful need in my life. There's sin in my life. And left to its end, it will take me down. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord had to lay on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And in Isaiah 64, all our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We are sinners. Jesus is the Savior of sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this opens the third point in this brief lesson. Notice the whole purpose of God prevails. Verse 42, as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he strictly charged him and forthwith sent him away. As soon as Jesus spoke the word, the leprosy was cleansed. Jesus has the power to clean things up. During these four winter snowstorms that have spread their beauty and fury across Bowling Green and Warren County and Kentucky and all the area, we have seen some of the ugliest things made into palaces of marble, glorious, beautiful places. You go out and look at the city dump. They call it now a landfill. Isn't that a nice name? And you go look at it, how beautiful it is, if you can get to it, in all of its beautiful snow. That's what Jesus does with our lives. He takes something that is nothing and makes something beautiful out of it. He takes something that is tawdry and cheap and makes something glorious and glowing and beautiful out of it. Bruce Burton tells how the first important journalistic assignment that fell to him was to write a series of articles to expose Billy Sunday, the evangelist. You know, they used to call him the fighting evangelist, the acrobat. He'd take a chair and lay, raise it up and bang it down to prove a point. Then he, he was a baseball player and he'd spring up and jump on the pulpit and sometimes break the pulpit down. And they made fun of him. And so they paid Bruce Burton a big sum to go and expose him. He went to three towns. This is a quotation. I talked to the merchants, Burton writes. They told me that during the meetings and afterwards, people walked up to the counter and paid bills which were so old they had long since been written off the books. In one town where Billy Sunday had visited three years earlier, Burton visited the president of the Chamber of Commerce. The president of the Chamber of Commerce said, I am not a member of any church. I never attend, but I'll tell you one thing. If it was proposed now to bring Billy Sunday to this town, and if we knew as much about the results of his work in advance as we do now, and if the churches would not raise the money to bring him, I could raise the money in half a day from men who never go to church because it would change the moral climate of our city. 
Billy Sunday took $11,000 from this town, said one man. But a circus comes here and takes out that amount, much money in one day, and he leaves us nothing. Billy Sunday left a different moral atmosphere. The exposure that Burton meant to write became a tribute to the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. When Jesus is preached, and when Jesus is believed, and when a man reaches out and says, I need Jesus, and he applies the blood of Christ to his soul by faith, there is instant cleansing, healing, and it is forever and forever and forever. The whole purpose of God's plan is unveiled and is prevailing in what Jesus did when he died on the cross. I wonder if you've applied the blood of Jesus to your life. One dark winter morning, a girl 22 years of age died at Commercial Hospital in Cincinnati. Once she was beautiful, she had been flattered and sought for the charm of her face. She took the door which led out to the innocency of childhood and modesty of youth into vice and ruin. Highly educated, accomplished in manners, she was once the pride of respectable parents. But she took a wrong step. She made a wrong decision. She said yes to the passions of youth and no to the lessons of purity. She died in disgrace and shame, friendless and brokenhearted. Among her personal belongings was found in manuscript the poem, The Beautiful Snow. It was immediately carried to the editor of a newspaper and published the morning following her death. Here it is. Oh, the snow, the beautiful snow. How the flakes gather and laugh as they go. Whirling about in the maddening fun, it plays in its glee with everyone, chasing, laughing, hurrying by. It lights up the face and it sparkles the eye. And even the dogs with a bark and a bound snap at the crystals that eddy around. And town is alive and its heart is aglow to welcome the coming of the beautiful snow. Once I was as pure as the snow, but I fell like the snowflakes from heaven to hell fell to be trampled as filth of the street, fell to be scoffed, to be spit on and beat, pleading and cursing and dreading to die, selling my soul to whoever would buy, dealing in shame for a morsel of bread, hating the living and fearing the dead. Merciful God, have I fallen so low? And yet I was once like the beautiful snow. Once I was fair as the beautiful snow with an eye like its crystal, a heart like its glow. Once I was loved for my innocent grace, flattered and sought for the charm of my face, father and mother and sisters and all, God and myself, I've lost in the fall. The veriest wrench that goes shivering by will make a wide sweep lest I wander too nigh. pure but the beautiful snow how strange it would be that this beautiful snow should fall on a sinner with nowhere to go how strange it would be when the night comes again if the snow and the ice struck by desperate brain fainting and freezing and dying alone too wicked for prayer too weak for my moan to be heard in the crash of the crazy town gone mad in the joy 
at the snow coming down to lie and to die in my terrible woe with a bed and a shroud of the beautiful snow. Reading that, somebody added a verse of hope, helpless and foul as the trampled snow, sinner, despair not, Christ stoopeth low to rescue the soul that is lost in sin and raise it to life and enjoyment again, groaning and bleeding and dying for thee, the crucified hung on the accursed tree. His accents of mercy fall soft on thine ears. There is mercy for thee. He will hear thy weak prayer. O God, in the stream that for sinners did flow, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The leper said, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus said, I will. Be thou clean. Is there somebody here today who would like to be clean? Who would like to be cleansed? Who would like to have all of his sin stains washed away in just a moment? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. That can happen to you today if you'll come to Jesus. You say, how do you come? You come honestly. Not with deceit, but honestly. You come and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. There's sin in my life. You come and say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that was enough to pay my sin. You come in faith. You come honestly, you come in faith. You come saying, Lord, here are my sins, here are my doubts, here are my questions, and I want to be freed from sin. You put your trust in Jesus Christ who spoke to the leper and said, I will be thou clean. He'll speak to you just like that. And he'll say, I will be thou clean. You come in humility. It's not a bad thing to come and kneel. Say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here I am. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I claim. You come in commitment. You say, take the whole world, but give me Jesus. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. I yield to thee today. Will you come like that? May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for everyone who is here today. Thank thee for the Word of God, for this first chapter of Mark that presents the purpose, the plan, and the altogether loveliness of Jesus' cleansing power, the purpose of his coming. Father, right now, touch somebody, someone who is tired of sin, someone who is tired of struggling. May they come to Jesus. We pray that someone else who needs a church home, who needs a fellowship of believers, would by faith this morning step out and say, I'm going to plant myself at this church and serve God here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand, please? Everyone standing. We're singing God's invitation. It is not my invitation, but His. And I want to ask you to do something about it this morning. You've heard 
I appreciate your listening, your attentiveness. But now it's time for you to do something. If you're here without Jesus Christ, you've never trusted him as your savior. You've never been cleansed from sin. You may be respected. You may make good grades. You may make good money. You may wear good clothes. But underneath it all, there's an awful malignancy which if you leave alone will drag you down and destroy you. In that awful place Jesus called hell. There are two places we spend eternity. One is heaven with Jesus. The other is hell that Jesus described as a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And that's where you're on your way to if you reject God's remedy for sin. I want to ask you to come this morning with your sins and your sorrows and your faith and your lack of faith, but come to Jesus. No matter what age you are, you come. We'd like to take the Bible, kneel here with you, and just show you from the Bible how to give your heart to Christ and then pray with you as you receive Jesus and ask him into your life. If you're already a Christian and you need a church home, why don't you come today? And say, by the grace of God, I want to start serving the Lord at Glendale Baptist Church right now. Not later, but now. Will you do it as we begin to sing, as we pray, who will step out first for the King? God help you to come.